Hello, and welcome to Politics Tomorrow, where we find out what makes us all politic. Today, we will be, we will be discussing an article written by The Economist in January of 2007, titled, The Geopolitics of 2026, The Decline and Fall of the Liberal International Order. This article makes many bold predictions about the state of affairs in 2026. Many were spot on, such as China emerging as an international superpower, but many were way off. And that's what we will be discussing today with my guests, Sydney Saunders and Theodore Zarich. Hi, I'm Sydney Saunders. And I'm Theodore Zarich, and we'll be critiquing the potential superpower, the Eurosphere. And I will be debating the point that the religious sphere has not emerge as an international superpower as predicted within the article. One of the main points that this article discusses is the idea of four spheres of power emerging in the world in 2026. These spheres are the Eurosphere, the religious sphere, the US sphere, and China and Russia as one united sphere. While China and Russia could be argued to be true, as well as the US, I will be personally debating the emergence of the religious sphere as an as a superpower, superpower on the world stage. In the article, it says that countries in the Middle East will emerge as liberal, democratic, still religious states that will be able to harness the power of the natural resources abundant in their area and become real players on the world stage. I will personally be debating against that. And it's no secret that the Middle East is economically underdeveloped. But why did this happen? Well, it's mainly due to large-scale unrest in the past three decades. The countries in the Middle East have stagnated in their economic development. They have failed to keep up with Western countries due to a lack of freedom in the years leading up to the present. Around 500 to 1,000 years ago, the West and the Middle East were fairly similar in terms of overall development. Both the Catholic West and the Islamic Middle East were under fairly strict religious rule, and both had periods of great development as well as Dark Ages. However, the key difference between the two regions is the West's willingness for economic and political freedom within the confines of a religious state. After time periods such as the Renaissance, as well as revolutionary attempts against theocratic monarchs in various areas in Europe, many countries eased up on the restrictive governments that were previously in place. See the French Revolution, for example. In effect, this allowed more open and advanced economies, more wealth in the hands of citizens, and more overall wealth for the country. Furthermore, the emergence of the U.S. as a superpower meant that there was another country with true economic freedom that had huge influence on the world stage. The economic freedom revolution never quite happened in much of the Middle East. Many countries are still bogged down by autocratic, theocratic leaders who insist on a strict rule of law in which economic freedoms are limited and usually ser- directly serve to aid the government and other people of high stature in society. This means that middle and lower class of these countries do not see much of that wealth meaning the economy stagnates. Furthermore, the state having a hand in all major financial institutions also prevents the overall economy from advancing. It was thought that back in 2004 that countries in the Middle East would begin accepting more democratic rulers and be able to emerge as a force within the world stage, and this hasn't happened in the slightest. The Middle East has been extremely unstable since 2004 to this day, with live conflicts still going on in Syria, along the Gaza Strip, and in Yemen, and political tensions in other countries such as Iraq, Iran, Egypt, and many others. The lack of stability in the region prevents Middle Eastern countries from truly being thought of as powers on the world stage. Furthermore, the majority of countries in the Middle East are also not only underdeveloped in terms of economic power and freedom, 
The majority of these countries are also behind the, the rest of the Western world socially. The Middle East has recently been subject to many human rights inquiries. Human rights for religious minority groups and women have clearly been way behind the rest of the world. Up until just 2017, women weren't even allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia, which is one of the more powerful Middle Eastern countries. Sects such as the Shia and Sunni, as well as Kurds, are discriminated against at higher rates than everybody else in certain countries. Furthermore, homosexuality can be punishable by prison or worse in many countries. With such outdated human rights, these countries have trouble gaining footing within international relations. So that's my two cents on the religious sphere. Now here's Theo and Sydney to discuss the Eurosphere. Now me and Theodore are going to talk about the Eurosphere and why we believe that it hasn't been an emerging power. And I'm going to talk about the broader points on why we believe what we believe, and Theo is going to go more in depth to what I'm talking about. So their ability to defend themselves against Russia could most likely not be possible without the help and support of the Americans. As you can see, NATO has been a very big presence in Eastern Europe now after the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, they were still looking for influence in that area. And so NATO came in and invited them into the bloc and they uh, can curb that influence with the presence of NATO. If the isolationist move by Trump revokes NATO and he disbands it, this could lead to a lot of uncertainty in the area and could uh, see them falling back into the former Soviet bloc. As I can see, this is an objective that Russia wants and wants to regain its former status as a superpower. And I can just think of the political significance of this and what this would mean for tons of EU citizens being, again, torn between two spheres of power, between the West and the East. They're not more of a superpower to me. They're more of a swing country, like he elaborated. Not a superpower, but... I think more of an important swing countries that could determine or could fall between either the American superpower or the sphere of influence of Russia. And also if the UEU may want to take the lead on building their own military, um, the thinking is not really in its DNA, but besides an EU only alliance would be pale shadow of NATO. After Brexit, non-EU countries will account for fully 80% of NATO defense spending. We're talking about countries, we're talking about pigs, basically. We're talking about Portugal, Italy, Greece, Spain. These countries with high unemployment. These countries haven't historically ever been something bigger than a small country. They've been torn between... They've been torn between spheres of influence. Spain being heavily influenced by the uh, EU, by Germany, as well as Greece. They haven't been a superpower in, what, 2,000 years? I don't see them ever, ever coming up to the point where they could be feared as a superpower due to their high unemployment and their inability to even branch out of the EU and just falling back on their single market and their trade deals. And with the American withdrawal, this could cause a divide between the European nations. Lots of these countries would seek bilateral deals. And in Central Europe, you would expect an alliance between Poland and Romania to guarantee the eastern border. And the Russians and the Chinese would not sit idly, but would play their own game with the Greeks and Hungarians and others. And you can kind of look at the political significance of this because a lot of the government policies would be changing. Um, and this would affect many of the UE citizens and the political and social issues and the developments between this. 
Well, I think it would be noble of them to even try to defend themselves against Russia. I mean, Russia is such a formidable force that even if they did try to defend themselves against NATO, they would be helpless at that point. I mean, you see him going to Georgia with no problem. You've seen him going to the Ukraine. And the only thing that's really been deterring him is that American influence. If, like you said, it would be a pale shadow of NATO, and NATO's only what it is because of America. If you take America out of the equation, it just becomes a bunch of small countries, small militaries against what he said is a second sphere of influence, a second power that would be so overwhelming and so ambitious that they really would have no stand no chance against them if Russia would invade. If he invades Estonia and Estonia is not a NATO member, there's not really much they can do to defend themselves. Yeah, and especially establishing a purely European military defense would overwhelm the Europeans politically, financially, and militarily. And Europe is not completely united as a whole, and the EU has inner conflict within itself. I would agree with that. Uh, there's the Poland and Hungary that are trending more to alt-right con- uh, conservatism, and there, there's a schism between them and the West, who's been liberal. And I think that if NATO leaves, which has been such a stabilizing force, would totally destabilize Europe, not in the sense of the Middle East, but there would be various problems trying to curb this military defense. I I would be shocked as to why the U.S. would even think of disbanding NATO after seeing so many generations and years gone by where it's just been a stabilizing influence. This would totally change government policy towards Europe. I think that's sounded pretty good. Yeah. And if you look at all the decisions made by European countries, they all mainly follow similarly to something that United States would do. And the UA might also not even exist today if it wasn't for the United States and their efforts to rebuild Europe. That's true. I mean, dating back to World War II and the Marshall Plan, they basically financed them so they wouldn't fall under Russian influence. If uh, the U.S. comes back to isolation like they did before pre-World War II, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be shocked if Russia would be looking for influence there, uh, especially in these desperate countries that is in Poland who've been trending more right, anti-EU. I could see that even if the United States does disband NATO, I could see that the anger of that could drive them back to Russia. And that's another thing. I don't see them as a, a sphere of... In- I don't see them as a sphere of influence. They're just more impacted dependent on the American sphere, like you said, or the uh, dictator sphere, the dictatorship sphere. Um, I don't see them as a superpower like he does as a bold prediction. But 12 years in, Warren, they're not even close to being what he said they would. One thing that Aiden neglected to talk about in his Middle East discussion was the Cold War happening in the Middle East makes it impossible for it to be a fourth superpower because of its religious division and hatred disqualify it from being a superpower. I totally agree with what you said. I mean, he totally neglects in 2007 when he neglects to say about the Sunni-Shia split and the, the hatred that the Sunni Saudi Arabians have with the Shia Iranians. And what he said was that the 2011 Arab Spring or the revolution would overpower these countries and the demand for democracy. That didn't happen. In fact, they just exploited them for their own personal gains. 
as a means to destroy some countries for influence instead of having a rallying cry of, we are Islam, let's be a superpower. They have this narrow vision of just fighting between each other and just vying for control instead of just uniting to form one superpower. And again, that comes back to your point. I agree that that disqualifies them as a superpower. And you can see how this clearly plays into a political perspective, you know, rather than all these groups unifying and deciding to become one superpower, obviously they all have their own perspective of the way things are going in the Middle East and, you know, different groups. They don't just hate to hate. They hate because they think that they are right. And there's so many different sects within the Middle East that they just can't come together and unify and sort of, you know, clean up their act and become a superpower because they all have different perspectives on the way that things should be run. And this has caused so many conflicts over the years. Oh, and as we see it now, the Middle East, the supposed fourth spirit of influence, is divided between Iraq and Iran and Egypt and Saudi Arabia, with the civil wars in Yemen and Syria being split. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and having this discussion with me today on Politics Tomorrow, where we find out what makes us all politic. Yes, thank you, Aiden. We had a great time today discussing about the article, and we are glad that we were able to have this discussion with you. I'm so-